Welcome to another episode of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and this is a newsletter I write every week to give you the technical news on Bitcoin. As always, you can find my newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com and get it into your email inbox every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Taxes on a revenue theater, Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 260. Janet Yellen made some noise earlier this week about a possible unrealized capital gains tax. To the uninitiated, a capital gain is made whenever a good is sold and the difference between the cost basis and the sell price is the capital gain. This is generally for assets that are held over a year and it's taxed at 15 or 20%. An unrealized capital gains tax is essentially a wealth tax. What's the rational rationale behind this? In a central bank-backed fiat economy, almost all wealth is not in dollars, but in assets. This makes sense since dollars are depreciating rapidly due to the monetary expansion of the central bank. What Yellen proposes to do uh, makes the strategy of holding on to assets unviable. Her hope is probably that this tax will accelerate the velocity of money. This is par for the course for Keynesians. That said, this proposal has no chance of actually being implemented as this would completely destroy the high asset prices. A lot of assets will have to be sold off to pay such taxes, causing an increased supply for some of the most expensive assets in the world. This in turn, uh, this will in turn contract the monetary supply because the assets will no longer be sufficient collateral for loans that were borrowed against them. The fact that this tax is more or less dead on arrival is not the point of this piece, however. What I want to write about here is why taxes like this are being proposed in the first place. Why, especially lately, are politicians so focused on tax revenue? They proved last year that they can print money to fund whatever they need on a continuous basis without explicit taxes. Inflation is the great hidden implicit tax that the government uses to fund everything from wars and bureaucratic institutions to social programs and pork barrel spending. Explicit taxes are a form of theater. They aren't necessary in a fiat money economy since money can be printed as an implicit wealth tax in lieu of explicit taxes. So why are explicit taxes being proposed? There are three reasons for this. The first is that there is at least nominally a federal debt ceiling in the United States that puts limits on government spending. The debt ceiling is the amount that the U.S. government is allowed to go into debt. It's a limit on the Fed's money printing powers on the U.S. government's behalf. This limit is $28.4 uh, $28 trillion, and the national debt is close to that number, meaning all budgets have to be balanced by revenue after that. Of course, Congress raises the debt ceiling every time it gets close because, the defic uh, because deficit spending is much easier than balancing budgets. Whenever we get close, we get talk of new taxes because it's either increasing this huge number or increasing, uh, it's increasing revenue through taxes. The American public believes that this debt is a burden we're passing on to our children. This isn't true exactly, but the U.S. electorate has to uh, com uh, complains if it gets too high too fast. So why does this limit exist at all? The government has a tricky balancing act as perception of inflation causes anticipation of inflation, which quickly devolves into hyperinflation. In a sense, all explicit taxes are a way to slow down the growth of this number so everyone has time to get used to even bigger numbers and keep this illusion of slow and managed monetary expansion. 
The second reason it's obvious uh, is that it's obvious there are winners and losers from the money printing. The Cantillon effect winners, also known as Cantillionaires, are thriving while a lot of people are being left behind. This is the wealth gap that gets talked about so much. It isn't a flaw with capitalism, as many would like you to believe, but rather a byproduct of fiat money. Explicit taxes are a way to put toothpaste of wealth inequality back in the tube of monetary expansion. It doesn't work exactly, but it does create a mess of a tax code that doesn't get cleaned up. The third reason is that explicit taxes hide the real taxes, inflation. Government, uh, the government could run purely on monetary expansion, but then it would be obvious that wealth is being taken from people without transparency, legislation, or consent. As Henry Ford once said, it is well enough that people uh, of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system, for if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning. The astounding unfairness of the system would be exposed much more quickly. In other words, explicit taxes, income tax, sales tax, estate tax, capital gains tax are all there to hide the actual uh, how the actual monetary system works. Explicit taxes are a way to keep people compliant about the real monetary expansion rate, nominally encumber cantillionaires and the level of theft inherent in inflation. They are theater to distract us from the fact that there's a wizard behind the curtain and the ridiculous absurdities that only exist so the powers that be can perpetuate their fraud. Incidentally, the Wizard of Oz is actually a commentary on the US monetary system, which is why the analogy works so well. The yellow brick road is the gold standard, the Emerald City is the dollar, and so on. In a sense, this is truly a crazy system. We could eliminate all taxes, abolish the IRS, and eliminate a ton of needless bureaucracy. But we don't, because it would destroy people's illusions about the monetary system. Taxes are revenue theater, a show to deceive us about our monetary system. So I wrote this because, uh, you know, my, my tweet about like getting taxed yet another time um, on our income uh, seemed to be very popular. And I was thinking more about it and uh, thinking about why it is that they tax us. Like if they can just print the money, why pay taxes? And the answer is basically taxes hide the system of inflation and the way money works um, by sort of like taxing the rich or making it seem like it's, uh, you know, that the government actually has revenue coming in uh, rather than just sort of printing they, their way to whatever. Um, it, it's unclear um, exactly how the monetary system works. And the deception is sort of like the wool is pulled over the eyes of everybody, right? Like it's uh, it's the it's the wizard from the Wizard of Oz who's uh, uh, you know, just sort of like a guy in the back, um, like sort of making this giant show for everybody. And taxes are a big way uh, in which that is done. So, um, yeah, it, it's kind of sad uh, that we have to go through the charade every few years. I, I think it would be so much better if we just eliminated all taxes and just uh, you know used inflation as a way. Um, I think that would bring about the Bitcoin standard a lot faster because people would recognize how everything is. Um, yeah, I, someday that'll work, but <laughs> who knows? Bitcoin. Uh, 
Econo Alchemist has a full write-up of how to run a Bitcoin node connected to only a Blockstream satellite. The guide is great, but it's pretty heavy on hardware and manual labor, labor as pointing a satellite to the right place is not an easy task. That said, the benefits are tremendous. For an offline setup, I think this will become the norm as you can run a full node without being connected to the internet. If you're a custodian, I imag I'd imagine having a machine connected to the satellite but not the internet will allow for checking of ETXOs and so on. Someone offer, please someone offer this service to Bitcoiners to install all of this. Uh, Cause I think I would pay money for some technician that could do it and, you know, like set it up and I, I'd have a full node and I, I can have like sort of as at home setup with uh, uh, that's offline and so on. Kraken Security Labs has a post on vulnerabilities are in certain Bitcoin ATMs. The main problem seems to be that the QR code generation for the admin interface is often set to the default one, which means that such ATMs are vulnerable to that particular QR code. There are additional hardware vulnerabilities as well, so the post mentions it's wisest to only use Bitcoin ATMs that you trust. I see so many such ATMs at gas stations now, so I suspect we'll see a lot more of these sorts of bugs being reported. So. <clears throat> the way uh, the machine works is that you can get to the admin interface, but you have to flash sort of this very special QR code. Um, and by default, a certain uh, you know QR code comes up. Um, and that's sort of the default on all the machines. So if you if you buy one of these, get the default one and just try every one of these this particular brand of ATMs, you can maybe get into some of them. Um, they do have a, uh, a mitigation and they patched it and so on. But the bug itself was very interesting because that's not an interface I would have thought about uh, using some sort of QR code as an admin. Um, but it kind of makes sense because uh, there's no keyboard. It's a sort of touch screen. And if you type in a password, it could, you know, um, you know, somebody could record it and so on. So very interesting stuff. Umbral has a node product a la MyNodeBCC, Start9, and Nodal. Bitcoin Magazine has a look here. I love that users are running their own servers. For a truly decentralized network, we need lots of nodes, and these devices help users set them up easily. I would like to see beefier models with apps like photo sharing, email servers, media storage, and so on. Someday, this is going to be the backbone of a truly decentralized Web 3.0. I, I really want to see this happen. Uh, someday, unfortunately, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, kind of slow going and it, it does take some convincing to, for people to actually run their own node. Uh, but this is how a decentralized network uh, goes uh, or is run. You need lots of servers. And the thing is, a lot of these products are kind of wimpy, right? They're, they're all using like Raspberry Pi under the hood and stuff like that, which is fine. But ultimately, I want a beefier server, I want, uh, you know, like in a the decentralized setup is only going to be as good as you know like the average of the you know like hardware that's out there so um you know like make something a little beefier i think i i definitely took it take a look at it if uh, one of these companies wanted to make something that was beefier had better you know um cpus ram like actual hard drive that's fitted like you know i want a single task machine that has you know better single task capability i guess um, Lightning, Ryan Gentry shows how we're at the tipping point in Lightning in the Lightning Labs newsletter. Every statistic on the Lightning uh, on the network is increasing rapidly and interest is sky high. What's so interesting about this network 
is just how much of it is still in its infancy. Routing nodes are still trying to figure out who to connect to, how big the channel should be, and so on. The growth will result in some pain, but there will be a much more robust network in the end. Um, so the fact of the matter is a lot of Lightning network payments fail, uh, and it's because it's decentralized. It's kind of like if you try to download some random torrent, unless it happens to be popular, a lot of times it won't work. And th this is uh, sort of the nature of decentralized networks is that it takes some time for people to get used to and for servers to, you know, like really um, understand the network or learn about the network so they can they can make it at a certain thing. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, what that that's what lightning is going through. It is sort of at this tipping point where so much work is going into it and so much stuff is coming out of it. A lot of people are using it. Um, entire countries are using it, as a matter of fact. So um, it, I, I do expect some growing pains uh, fairly soon. Arc BTC has published a cheap do-it-yourself offline Lightning Network point-of-sale device. This device uses LNURL to shorten the invoices and the payment flow is great. As someone that sells books at Bitcoin conferences, I can see this device being useful as long as you have a well-connected node with lots of inbound liquidity. For now, I still think certain wallets make more sense because they succeed so much more often. Um, so yeah, uh, point of sale devices, uh, you know, like you, you can kind of use your phone to do it, uh, but having like sort of uh, if you're if you're a coffee shop or something like that, I think you need something like this uh, and, you know, instant payment. I think, uh, you know, having uh, having that ability, like just to sort of set up on the side of the road and, and kind of do it. Uh, this is ultimately, I think, what you're going to need. So uh, point of sale devices, uh, I think, could definitely use some innovation here. Uh, Michael Ree writes about the Lightning Network, how the Lightning Network um, empowers developers. As he points out, the fiat system forces developers to create a bank account in order to get paid. This attacks on the good and service and or service, and it's often significant enough for many would-be services to not get built. By removing this barrier and putting something like Lightning in its place, it really allows for permissionless innovation. This is one of the real joys of a Bitcoin future where people can create without so much of the bureaucratic headache, which sucks the life out of the entrepreneur. And yeah, I mean, like just conforming to regulatory stuff, specifically financial stuff, is just such a headache. And if you want to know why it's so difficult to start a business, it's mostly that. Um, and, you know, like there are other industries which uh, the government regulates heavily, like healthcare, where like compliance is just such a headache that that's why there's so few uh startups in these areas or so many so few businesses really it's uh you know kind of go big or go home model on all of them because of government regulation economics engineering etc alex gladstein argues that the crypto revolution has failed whereas bitcoin thrives as he points out the crypto suffers from the same problems as fiat there are lots of Cantillon, uh, Cantillon insiders and serious liquidity problems. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is bringing real people freedom and bringing banking services to people that previous didn't have, previously didn't have them. The article is a sobering look at how Bitcoin is changing the world, whereas crypto is very much not doing so. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think uh, originally that article was supposed to be uh, for our, uh, some magazine that wanted like, 
a commentary on that and he came out on the other side of the argument that they wanted him to make so uh he published it himself so good for him i i hope a lot of you read it and um you know share it robert breedlove has written uh part six of his sovereignism series this one about statism as he points out governments are in the business of capturing more value or uh, of staying in power they do this through standardization of various kinds, which often impinge on the rights of individuals. The biggest such standardization is the imposition of fiat money, which has been used to stay in power. I found the article to be hopeful, as Bitcoin is the one force that can defeat statism. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think uh, the standardization thing is uh, is a really cool thought uh, that really the way in which uh things get controlled by government is standardizing everything like uh, right now like they want to standardize on people that have vaccines so they are kind of mandating it almost uh to as many people as they they can do uh at least some government so it um that that's statism um and uh, you know it, it tends to impinge on freedoms uh whereas like bitcoin it, it is it just doesn't give that option to the state because it's a money outside their control. Pete Rizzo shows how altcoins are immoral. The article is not what you would call an altcoin screed, but it is an honest look at what they can do. Rizzo seems to be steel manning the altcoin case, and even in the most charitable case, they are ultimately taking away user rights with a tyranny of the majority. I have an interview with Pete that I'll publish later this week about this very article, so stay tuned. So uh, Pete has an excellent article about uh, about altcoins. And, you know, I, he used to be editor at Coindesk and wrote thousands of articles on altcoins and so on. So um, I think like when, when, you know, like after reflection and uh, like sort of going in more into Bitcoin, Bitcoin's history and so on, I think he's really uh like written some pieces lately that have really uh shown um you know how he's thinking uh instead of sort of you know writing meaningless fluffy pieces uh or puff pieces that a lot of these publications do so good for him uh nidig has published the report on their view of what bitcoin will do over the next nine years the main thing from the article that's going to raise every raise eyebrows everywhere is that they estimate 46 million people in the u.s are bitcoin owners the report spends a significant portion addressing esg concerns which leads me to believe that a lot of funds have some sort of esg mandate um yeah and uh and that that's uh, a little bit disturbing because they do uh, like spend a significant amount of time on the report on why it's good for the environment and why it's not as bad as they say and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, like they wouldn't do that unless that this were this was something that they've been hearing over and over and over again, um, not necessarily from the media, but from the actual people that are doing the investing. So um, interesting report. I encourage you to go read it. Coinbase users got hacked. This was due to their multi-factor authentication being compromised and somewhere around 6,000 users got their funds cleaned out. As a f company flush with cash, I suspect they'll just make the users whole and wash their hands of it. I suspect that a lot of exchanges the last four years have been able to paper over hacks because they've made so much money. I don't think this is a good thing as bad practices need bigger market punishment. Um, so. Uh, you know, th this uh, like this, what I've noticed uh, versus sort of like the 2011 to 
2014 era where we had so many Bitcoin exchanges get hacked and then they would go out of business. Um, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, they get they get so much investment and so much, uh, you know, so much venture capital sort of pumped into it that they don't they don't really care. Right. Like they don't um, like if they if they do suffer sort of like a smallish hack like this one was, um, then they'll just sort of paper over it by like use, making the users whole. Um, there's enough money sort of flowing in that they can afford to do that and not get destroyed. So. Um, I don't think this is a good thing. Uh, I think it's uh, just making for more and more sort of centralization around these uh, places. Uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, for those users that are on Coinbase, I would strongly consider getting your money out of there. And if you have to use them, then like withdraw immediately. This, uh, this is good practice anyway. But yeah, that, um, yeah, it, it, a lot of these hacks seem to, um, uh, not cause insolvency, which it definitely should uh, in any, you know, normal free economy. But, uh, you know, fiat money is sort of paper papering it over. Um, fiat sort of corrupts everything, including even Bitcoin exchanges. Quick hits. Uh, SEC versus Ripple has some implications. So it, uh, the article talks about the SEC versus Ripple case and the, you know, like illegal security thing. Um, yeah, I, I suspect that this will be prosecuted heavily, uh, especially with Gensler in charge and so on. A mayor of a small town is giving every resident a thousand dollars in Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, I mean, you don't have to move there right away or anything like that. But it, it is an interesting idea, uh, especially if you get that Bitcoin sort of after you've moved there and stayed there for like a year and, uh, you know, it's kind of like a form of a tax credit or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I generally don't like those on principle, but it's, uh, you know, uh, it, it's an interesting quick hit. Uh, El Salvador has started mining uh, using geothermal energy. Um, I estimated that they, um, they, they're mining about $250 a day, so they got maybe like 10 S19s or something like that. Um, you know, and once they scale it out, I think this could be a major sort of uh, revenue source for them. and. That would be pretty amazing. Uh, you know, what about a government like that actually uses the land for tax uh, in lieu of tax revenue? Right. Like I would love to see the U.S. do that, but they're not going to. Bitfinex accidentally sent 23 million in fees on Ethereum. So Bitfinex, um, you know, had some uh, DeFi contract that they wanted to fund. I think a lot of it has returned. But and this is the thing, like they're not really being punished too much by the market for making these idiotic mistakes. Um, they need punishment or else they're not really going to get corrected. Another week, another badly written smart contract causing a large amount of uh, coins being lost and misallocated. So you can read about the story, but it's uh, like it's this DeFi project called Compound and they um, ended up, uh, you know, like leaving $80 million in comp uh, available in the smart contract somehow. And a lot of people are just sort of taking it and running. And uh, yeah, apparently they're going to dox people and uh, to the IRS and say, we're going to report it as income unless you take it as a bug bounty. So yeah, yeah, as centralized as it can get. 
All right, so I will be in Miami for the Oslo Freedom Forum, um, October third through six. So uh, you know, by the time this is out, it's October fourth. So I am already there uh, as, as you're listening to this. Uh, the Texas Blockchain Summit is on October eighth, uh, which I will be at a little bit later this week, um, and I will be interviewing Senator Ted Cruz. So that will be interesting. Um, I will be in Atlanta for TabConf November 4th and 5th, um, and the Programming Blockchain Seminar is in Atlanta, Georgia, November 2nd and 3rd. It's a two-day seminar for programmers to learn about Bitcoin, and you can apply at ProgrammingBitcoin.com. I also have a few scholarships available for those that can't afford it. All right, on this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Erica Rhodes about political campaigns. Uh, find out how this elementary school teacher registered to run for Congress. Her passions about education and foster care and why she's running against fellow Democrat Brad Sherman. So um, absolutely fascinating, like, uh, you know, her story of how she was a supporter of Andrew Yang and then like, um, you know, decided to run and so on. Um, you know, she, she seems to be getting a lot of support from Bitcoiners, given how uh, Brad Sherman has been sort of like a big enemy for, of Bitcoiners lately. Um, I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find. Um, I was on Tone Show to talk Lightning, uh, to talk Twitter Lightning integration, ethics of all coining, and more. Um, another video from the Bitcoin Standard Conference is out. This one about self sovereignty. I talked about the relationship between re religion and Bitcoin with the Bitcoin Bottom Line podcast, and uh, and of course I talked about the new book on it as well. My other books are the Little Bitcoin book and programming Bitcoin, uh, which you can find on Amazon. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I am an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at Unchained.com. Fiat Linda Est, this song is done.